in creating this program, we worked with cardiologists to develop a model, and our top priority was safety. So this model, we wanted it to be safe and effective, and we wanted to use it in an outpatient hospital-based therapy setting. Welcome to the HAP MNR Journal Club, a podcast where we introduce you to thought leaders who are published in the American Journal of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. This is a show about practices, research, and education that are shaping the field of physiatry in inspiring ways. The Journal Club is brought to you by the Association of Academic Physiatrists, or AAP, an intimate and influential professional society that brings together leading minds at every career level. Physiatrists and professors, directors and med students, researchers and residents, this is your behind-the-scenes look at people and ideas that will influence your future. Your host is Dr. Eric Wasatsky, an AAP member with Georgetown University School of Medicine. Hi, everyone. This is Eric Wasatsky coming to you from the MedStar National Rehabilitation Hospital in Washington, D.C. Thank you for joining our American Journal of Physical Medicine and Rehab Journal Club podcast. Today, I'm joined by uh, my co-host, Dr. Michael Roten, who is one of our senior residents here within our PM&R program at the Metzner National Rehab Hospital, uh, and will soon be joining us as a faculty member uh, doing general rehab, running our post-polio clinic, and doing lots of other exciting things with us here. So, uh, Dr. Roten, thank you for joining me. Hello. Thanks for having me. All right, great. So I'm very excited about our two distinguished authors that we will be interviewing today uh, who have a recent publication in the American Journal of Physical Medicine Rehab. I'd like to start by introducing uh, someone who requires no introduction, uh, Dr. Sarah Cucurullo, who is the Professor, Chairman, and Residency Program Director of the Department of PM&R for Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School and Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine, and also Vice President for the JFK Johnson uh, Rehabilitation Institute. So, Dr. Cucurullo, thank you for being here with us. Oh, thank you so much for having us, Eric and Michael. We greatly appreciate having this opportunity. Of course, this is fun. We're excited to talk to you. Uh, And also a co-author on the study we'll be discussing today, Dr. Talia Fleming, uh, who's the Medical Director of Stroke Recovery and the Aftercare Program at the JFK Johnson Rehab Institute, uh, and is also an Assistant Professor of PM&R at the Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School and Core Assistant Professor at Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine. So, Dr. Fleming, thank you as well for joining us today. Thank you so much. We are so excited to share our research and excited to kind of stimulate this conversation and get everyone else on board. Yeah, we are too. I think your work that we're going to discuss today is so important and we're so happy to be chatting about it. Uh, You know, first things first, did want to get into this briefly. Dr. Cucurillo, you are kind of famous for this uh, board review book uh, (laughs) that you have written. And I should mention that Dr. Roten, who's on the podcast with me today, is going to be taking his written uh, board exam in a few months and has been uh, spending a lot of time with you lately, I guess you could say, <laughs> via book. <laughs> Dr. Roden, anything you wanted to say about that? Oh, my, my fiancé, who's not even in medicine, is very familiar with who you are. <laughs> um, <laughs> it just any deliverable or action items um, kind of to start things off that uh, some of my fellow senior residents should kind of take away from this article. The big takeaway f- from this article is that we really want stroke patients well represented. Uh, it, it appears that the the literature and the support for stroke patients is far behind that of which 
is there for the cardiac patients. Uh, cardiac rehab has been funded through Medicare and other insurances long-term for quite some time. And stroke patients and the work that we're doing is with cardiologists. They have said that the, the rehab literature and the neurology literature is 10 years behind, which is why there's so little funding for comprehensive programs for stroke patients through Medicare and other insurances. So the take-home is that we all need, and especially the residents and our fellows, futuristically to move forward to put out evidence-based literature that will support stroke patients and will get proper funding and support for them as we move forward into the future. I think that's a good little preview, so let's get into it. Uh, The title of the article we're discussing today, recently published in the American Journal of Physical Medicine and Rehab, is entitled, Impact of a Stroke Recovery Program, Integrating Modified Cardiac Rehabilitation on All-Cause Mortality, Cardiovascular Performance, and Functional Performance. So I'm going to let our authors take it away. Uh, If you could give us a brief summary of your work and your findings here. Basically, this is a prospective cohort study of about 783 stroke survivors who were put through a program which was modeled after the Mayo Clinic Cardiac Rehab Program, which was published in circulation in 2011. And this Mayo Clinic Cardiac Rehab Program showed a 45% reduction in all-cause mortality for cardiac patients, status post-stent placement. And because of this literature and this information that they put out, cardiac rehab became fully funded for cardiac patients. So since stroke survivors have almost identical risk factors as cardiac patients, we decided to modify the cardiac rehab program and implement the program for patients' status post-stroke. So these 783 stroke survivors that are part of our study were discharged from an inpatient rehab facility to an outpatient setting. 136 stroke recovery program participants completed a feasibility study and received the stroke recovery program. Now, the stroke recovery program is a comprehensive outpatient rehabilitation program, including the standard of care, which most stroke patients get now, PT, OT, and speech therapy, which is typically provided these patients, in addition to 36 sessions of modified cardiovascular conditioning, much like cardiac rehab. And they received this. Due to their hemiplegia, we had to modify the program because they couldn't go on treadmills or bicycles. So we used a cross-training recumbent bike known as the New Step. In addition to this, we had other components of this comprehensive program, and it included physician follow-up visits, which occurred at 30, 60, 90, and 120 days. Patients also received risk factor education, smoking sensation, nutritional support, and rehab psychology. There was a second group of 473 stroke survivors who chose the standard of care rehab and opted out of the stroke recovery program, and those were our non-participants. We also had a group of 174 that were excluded because they only received part of the program. So we started with doing a feasibility study, which assessed uh, safety, mortality, pre- and post-cardiovascular performance, pre- and post-function as measured by the AMPAC, and patient and staff perspective. In addition to the feasibility study, we broke out a group and did a non-randomized subgroup analysis and compared 76 stroke recovery participants to match pairs of non-participants. We looked at these people to assess mortality and pre- and post-function. The results of the study have shown the following. The feasibility study showed that the stroke recovery program had excellent safety, We had a markedly low one-year post-mortality 
from hospital admission of 1.47% compared to a national rate of mortality of stroke patients in the first year post-stroke, which has been published by the American Heart Association, and that number is 31%. So we saw a dramatic reduction in mortality within the feasibility study. Again, the American Heart Association put out that mortality at 31%, and our study showed 1.47%. We also saw improved cardiovascular performance over the 36 sessions, where we started at baseline, and from baseline to the 36 session, we saw an increase in cardiac capacity of 103%, which uh, we measured in metabolic equivalents of task times minutes. We, in addition, saw improved function in the activity measure of post-acute care, or the AMPAC, which is a Medicare-approved tool, and we saw it in all three domains, um, in basic mobility, in ADL, and in cognitive and speech therapy. Um, And we had positive reviews from the stroke recovery participants and staff. So that was the feasibility study. In addition, we broke out that second group, like we said, and did a subgroup analysis and showed that the stroke recovery program uh, with matching pairs, and we were very careful about the way we matched these groups. These matching pairs, um, we matched on gender, race, type of stroke, and partially on age and baseline functional scores and medical complexity. And we modeled this analysis after the Mayo Clinic Cardiac Rehab Program. And every effort was made to match like pairs of patients comparing the stroke recovery participants to the non-participants. We showed that we had a positive impact on our mortality where the non-participants of the stroke recovery program had a 9.09 times higher hazard of mortality. And we also showed the stroke recovery program to improve function via the AMPAC in all three domains. So basically, the, the study that we published showed that stroke survivors receiving a stroke recovery program, integrating this interval-modified cardiac rehabilitation program, um, in participating in this program, it showed that they can potentially benefit from reductions in all-cause mortality and improvements in cardiovascular performance and improvements in function as measured by the AMPAC. Wow. Thank you for that perfect summary. Uh, it's definitely exciting findings, uh, very eye-opening. It's hard to turn away from this and to not start thinking about how this can affect potentially the standards of our care. Uh, I'm going to turn the mic over to uh, Dr. Roten for our next set of questions. Yeah, so um, what potential safety concerns may you guys have had utilizing that stroke recovery program throughout the study? You know, Mike, that really is a great question. Um, So since this was really our first time modifying a protocol in this manner, our absolute first priority was safety. As in many clinical research trials, we wanted to make sure that the patients were safe going through the program. So out of that 136 stroke recovery program participants, 26 ended the modified cardiac rehab portion early due to medical complications. So for example... During the cardiovascular training, there were about four patients that realized that they were having either uncontrolled blood pressure or they were feeling chest or arm pressure or arm pain. And these individuals were treated and then they were transitioned to the traditional cardiac rehabilitation after follow-up with their primary cardiologist. So the specific surveillance that we do during the program allowed us to identify certain underlying vasculopathy that the patients were having that if they were not in this particular surveillance 
and kind of challenged within a low-intensity, medically-monitored, supervised setting, we may have missed the opportunity to have the patient go back to the cardiologist, continue and get whatever additional cardiovascular workup that was required, and actually four of those patients required either stenting or angioplasty in terms of treating their underlying vascular disorders, which was probably what led them to have the stroke to begin with. So that was an initial thing that we found that we didn't actually anticipate as we were designing the study, but because we were monitoring the patients closely, it allowed us to have additional follow-up with them in the outpatient setting. Some of the other additional reasons for stopping the program early, there were about three patients that had orthopedic or arthritic complications. About four patients had extreme fatigue or cognitive deficits, which we know can also be associated with stroke as well. Um, One person had a repeat stroke, Um, three people had falls outside of the program, and three people had seizures, so we decided to discontinue the cardiovascular portion. But all in all, um, during the modified cardiac rehab sessions themselves, there were no recorded falls, no injury from equipment, and no overuse injuries that were reported. So as a result, we felt really comfortable saying that Um, patients are able to go through this program and that they are safe. And then we layered on top of it some of the other additional findings that are are in the study as well, including that 103% increase in their cardiovascular function measured by the metabolic equivalent of task times minutes. Thank you. Uh, We really appreciate that. It's definitely a higher risk patient population. So I think safety is obviously, like you stated, of the utmost importance. Um, Now, in addition to that, we noticed that, um, and I think you've already mentioned, that it was a modified cardiac rehabilitation protocol that you guys used instead of the traditional protocol. One difference that we noticed in that was that there wasn't the option for a high-intensity exercise program. Are there any particular reasons why you would avoid a high-intensity program in uh, stroke survivors or, in particular, the folks that you studied? In creating this program, we worked with cardiologists to develop a model, and our, again, our top priority was safety. So we, this model, we wanted it to be safe and effective, and we wanted to use it in an outpatient hospital-based therapy setting. And as you had said, a lot of these patients have other comorbidities. So in view of that and the physical limitations of many stroke patients, our desire was to use physical therapists and exercise physiologists to exercise this program without the use of cardiac monitors or cardiac nurses. We wanted to see if it was possible to do this program here with training our physical therapists and exercise physiologists to uh, execute the program and do it in a a safe manner. So it was the consensus after multiple meetings with um, myself and Dr. Fleming and and the other physiatrists involved and, and the cardiologists that we developed this protocol that we decided to use a low to moderate exercise protocol that, um, if successful, could then be translated to other programs nationwide and to be able to be used at other rehab institutes. So a very important part of this program was that every patient received cardiac clearance from their cardiologist prior to the start of the program. So while they were in inpatient rehab, we made sure that either their personal cardiologist was notified and gave clearance or that we consulted a cardiologist to give cardiac clearance. Now, some people needed more of a workup than others, but we had cardiac clearance on every patient that entered the program, 
And that was beneficial because it allowed us, in case we saw any symptomatology, we would be able to directly contact the cardiologist who was already familiar with the patient. And as you well know, you know, stroke patients have almost identical risk factors as cardiac patients, and um, cardiac issues are a major concern of patients with stroke. So this, this actually we found to be very helpful to get the cardiac clearance. So every therapist and exercise physiologist is specially trained in this interval conditioning for stroke patients. Um, the program, as compared to a traditional cardiac rehab program, the differences specifically um, of the two programs is cardiac rehab uses varied types of equipment such as treadmills, armagometers, bicycles. In the modified cardiac rehab program, we use the New Step, which is a recumbent cross-training bike, and that's we feel that's very safe for the patient. Cardiac rehab is, is uh, a person goes in individually. We do groups of four to five patients per group. And as you mentioned, we use this low to moderate protocol. And even with that, we saw this 103% increase in cardiac function. And we felt that we had the safety component along with doing the, the low to moderate. And we did do progression over time. So we we did do risk stratification to determine exercise progression. We had some people that progressed you know, more aggressively than others, but we we looked at everyone, even though they were in group therapy, everyone was treated individually as to their own individual progression. Uh, both sessions of traditional and modified cardiac rehab were at least uh, 30 minutes uh, each. We did 36 sessions just as the cardiac rehab protocol calls for, and as you know, traditional cardiac rehab uses cardiac rehab nurses and uh telemetry monitoring in, in, in many instances, and we wanted a model that we could translate to a re, an outpatient rehab setting. Um, we're attached to an acute care facility, so we did physiologic monitoring by physical therapists and physical therapy assistants um, and exercise physiology at every session. We pretty much had almost identical items monitored as cardiac rehab does during each session by these uh, trained individuals. And um, the only additional thing traditional cardiac rehab did that we did not do is do a rate-perceived dyspnea scale. Um, we did the educational management in a very similar way and the educational counseling. Um, and we, we, we found it very helpful, which cardiac rehab doesn't always do, but we, we also integrated rehab psychology and uh, a nutritionist into our, uh, our program. Even though cardiac rehab does do nutritional counseling, some of our patients needed more assistance than others. So that's pretty much how our program compares to cardiac rehab. And we found in order to deal with the fact that the patients had multiple comorbidities and physical limitations, we decided to ut utilize the low to moderate uh, mechanism, and that actually worked for us very well. Awesome. That's a great explanation of the study and the uh the resources that you were able to provide the patients. And I think um, access to care in these resources is something that's kind of always at the forefront of healthcare conversations in this day and age. And it seems that these cardiac rehab services could sometimes be difficult to access for some patients, potentially due to geographic constraints, maybe insurance issues. Do you feel that those concerns impact the generalizability of the findings? Um, and what advice do you have for other programs who are trying to build similar programs uh, with these barriers in mind? Well, you know, Mike, with uh, today's healthcare climate, more and more patients are being discharged from the hospitals faster. 
you know, we have lower lengths of stay. Patients are very medically complex. And so we really need to take a look at how we are organizing and structuring outpatient rehab programs. And so we took this as an opportunity to really develop a robust outpatient stroke rehabilitation program, which was comprehensive and supportive, especially during that early transition phase when patients are being discharged from the hospital and then they're starting their outpatient journey. So in terms of our specific program, our program is offered to every inpatient stroke admission who meets the inclusion and exclusion criteria of the research trial. In terms of the inclusion criteria, they had to be ages 18 or over, able to follow um, simple commands, alert, and able to provide consent either via themselves or their proxy. Exclusion criteria were only really for patients who were unable to follow specific directions and had fair alertness. So we intentionally did not limit the patients that we were trying to include in the study based on function, high function versus low function, because we really wanted the structure of this program to be applicable to the majority of patients, and we wanted them to have access to a strong outpatient program that could really help and support their needs. So we really wanted to include as many people as possible. So at our hospital system at JFK Johnson, We work very closely with our outpatient therapy division to provide local transportation to patients that need assistance. And this is not only for the participant group for this particular study, it's a general practice pattern that we have at our hospital system here. So other patient populations have access to that as well. Now, regarding the insurance barriers, we're really doing the study to prove to Medicare that patients with stroke should be given the same funding benefit their cardiac rehab patients are given, especially when they comply with the specific Medicare criteria. Now, Mike, here's an important point that I really want to stress for all of your listeners. Currently, stroke patients are not given any carved-out funding for their outpatient stroke rehabilitation. They only have the typical Medicare therapy threshold, which for 2019 was $2,040 for physical therapy and speech therapy services combined and then another $2,040 for occupational therapy. And I think we can all agree that patients, especially who are medically complex, who are trying to recover from a stroke, they can run through those funds rather quickly. So the Stroke Recovery Program research trials were really designed to try and change that. And Sarah and I feel very, very passionate about this mission. In terms of advice for particular programs who are trying to build a similar programs of these in terms of their potential barriers. We're really hoping that should Medicare consider this as a carved-out benefit for patients recovering from stroke, that there can be consistency in the stroke recovery program at the national level for how to execute this program successfully. So through our research, we're really trying to identify the best practice patterns so that we can continue to share this at the national level should funding become available for this. Now, because we are in the research phase here at our hospital, we do not charge patients for the outpatient cardiovascular conditioning sessions or for the transportation because we really wanted to ease the financial burden for this patient population. However, we do recognize that should programs nationally consider these types of programs, external funding or grant funding would most likely be needed to be considered. Thank you for that. I think you really do uh, present a very compelling argument for this protocol, uh, and I think that's a good segue kind of into our next question. So I really want to kind of cut to the chase here. Uh, As I said, 
some really eye-opening findings here in terms of uh, your patient's function, improvement in cardiovascular function, and you know maybe most startling in terms of uh, mortality is just amazing. So tell us where do we go from here? Uh, you know this was a non-randomized trial. What are the next steps that you see in terms of research to validate these findings? And thinking really big, you know, what's your vision in terms of how this might impact practice patterns and guidelines in the future? So, uh, Mike, we, we were pretty much as surprised as you are to see how it impacted mortality so dramatically and how we saw the function improve and, the, and the, their uh, cardiovascular function as well. And it really is moving us to continue the program that we're, we have in place and to continue to move forward and reach our power number, which we're going through day by day and trying to get more and more patients into the program, which is why we, on many instances, as, as Dr. Fleming said, we're looking to get rid of every hurdle like as far as providing transportation. Um, we do do the cardiovascular sessions free of charge because we do not want to chew down on their existing Medicare threshold and shortchange the patients for PT, OT, and speech. So we do do that with administrative help and grant funding. But, you know, if our outcomes continue to prove that this program is as beneficial as it's appearing on many levels for stroke patients, we believe that every stroke patient should be offered this opportunity to participate in a comprehensive stroke recovery program. And we are hoping with um, continued validation with, with the numbers and the data that we're doing in conjunction with the cardiovascular at Robert Wood Johnson, we're, we're trying to prove to Medicare that this program should be fully funded by Medicare and other insurances, much the same way that cardiac rehab has been funded. And um, we feel that stroke patients um, have been not given the attention they should have over these past many years, and we think that this is an opportunity for our specialty, for, for physiatrists and cardiologists and neurologists to work together to make stroke patients a priority and get them the appropriate comprehensive rehabilitation program that they deserve. Because in, in our mind, it just seems very unfair that the cardiac and pulmonary patients actually are getting a carved-out benefit from Medicare that doesn't touch their threshold yet our stroke patients are limited in a big way by the funding that is allotted them because they have no carved-out benefit. So from a clinical practice pattern standpoint, we would like to see this program offered to patients nationwide at every rehab facility. And in our design of the program, we really did it in a way, as we said, that we hope that it's something that can be replicated at other uh, rehab facilities nationwide so that all stroke patients can benefit from it. And hopefully internationally. Actually, Dr. Fleming and I will be presenting this at the International Society of PM&R um, in Japan in June uh, because uh, there's an interest at the international level about this program as well. Wonderful. So that'll, you'll be a great inspiration internationally to hopefully uh, spread awareness of more of these programs. And, you know, I think you have lofty goals here, but appropriately lofty that uh, I certainly hope will come to fruition. So uh, we're getting about ready to wrap up uh, for either of our authors here. Uh, did you have any last final comments that you wanted to say about your outstanding work here? Well, I know that um, part of the research study, too, also included some of the patient and staff comments. 
And in general, we feel that the patient experience is a huge part of the success of any rehab program. I think that's a common tenant that we embrace in the field of rehabilitation in general. And so we really highly value our staff comments, any constructive criticism that helps make our programs better, and we really utilize this input to help make the experience as beneficial as possible for the patients as well as the staff that were implementing the program. We designed this to have a direct clinical translation in a real-world environment for the patients and for their providers. So we hope that people are able to kind of get a feel for that and the fact that we're literally one step away from being able to implement this real world. So we hope that that is able to come through as well. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Dr. Fleming. I, I found that to be a, a striking part of your article, and uh, I hope people will open up their American Journal of Physical Medicine Rehab to take a look at this. But I love that you had staff and patient comments. Uh, you know, the staff comments really showed the buy-in amongst your staff members to participate in this, and the patient comments kind of speak for themselves. Uh, one of your patients said, I was very depressed. I was sitting home and started worrying about my family and kids. I wasn't able to talk, walk, or move my arms and legs. I would recommend this program to everybody. It helped me get back to normal. So it's just really inspiring to read those comments. And I certainly would love to see that in uh, more articles. It really adds a personal touch to it. Yeah. Um, and as we're getting ready to wrap up, Dr. Cucurullo, any other uh, final comments you wanted to make about your article? Yeah, I'd first like to thank the American Journal of PM&R for giving us this opportunity to share this program and these results. And um, we're very excited about the article being published. And I really would like to rally our specialty to really move forward and help support uh, stroke patients and programs like this uh, to warrant the fact that our patients should be getting comprehensive programs and initially post their acute event, you know, sent to the appropriate level of care and really try to justify sending them to inpatient rehab when necessary, because as we all know, that the outcomes um, that have been well-published showing that inpatient rehab, when warranted, gives us better outcomes so that the patients are sent to acute rehab when necessary and to whatever level of care they would benefit from, in addition to being moved to comprehensive programs like this that could help them get the best outcomes overall. And hopefully, uh, the next things we're looking at is potentially showing that this program will hopefully decrease readmissions and decrease the incidence of new strokes. Those are another set of outcomes that we're looking at in conjunction with the Cardiovascular Institute, um, utilizing the MIDAS data registry. So those are outcomes hopefully futuristically we can report on. And um, as I said, hoping that our specialty continues to support stroke patients and help them get the best functional outcomes and the highest quality of life that's possible. Those are fantastic goals, and uh, I'm really excited to see uh, more of your work come along on this important topic. So thank you again to you both. Uh, just a true pleasure uh, to speak to both of you, and I really congratulate you for your work here. Uh, again, we had today Dr. Sarah Kukarulu and Dr. Talia Fleming. Uh, thank you both for joining us. Thank you to my co-host, Dr. Michael Roten, for being here with me. Uh, and I thank you all for tuning in to listen to the AAP Journal Club podcast. And I hope you tune in next time. Thank you all very much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Eric and Michael. Thank you very much.